welcome to the second episode of season 2 of tell me more firstly i'd like to thank all my listeners for being so supportive for removing your valuable time to listen to this podcast and for a community who is growing one step at a time it's because of y'all that we are at 600 listeners now and we are a part of 600 different people's lives all across the world who are working every single day to better their lives now as i promised i'll be getting more guest listeners and today we have a new guest and his name is terry tucker now you'd want to know a little bit about terry so terry is the founder of motivational check he is a former college basketball player a swat team hostage negotiator and a cancer warrior for the last 10 years which has included the amputation of his foot in 2018 and his entire leg in 2020 but terry has managed to stand against all odds and he's also come up with his four truths which help people against all odds terry is an author of sustainable excellence 10 principles to leading your uncommon and extraordinary life in this he helps people find their uncommon and extraordinary purpose the 10 principles that are outlined in his book will provide the bedrock necessary to form the foundation of unshakable beliefs and dedicated behaviors to reinforce your attitude no matter how much pain you must endure or how many obstacles you must overcome terry has also spoken over on like about 500 podcasts and has been featured in authority thrive global and human capital leadership magazines i'm so so happy to introduce all of you all to terry and i'm so glad that he could come here and he could speak to us so terry thank you so much for coming here today and thank you for sharing everything that you're going to share ahead Well, Miriam, first of all, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate this. I'm looking forward to talking with you. Uh, a little bit of background uh, about me. I was born and raised in Chicago, Illinois, which is the third largest city in the United States. You can't tell this from looking at me, but I'm six foot eight inches tall, and I actually went to college on a basketball scholarship and had the unique opportunity my senior year in college. to play basketball against Michael Jordan probably one of the greatest basketball players of all times and then kind of a funny story my brother years later when Michael Jordan had a family my brother coached his two sons so you know talk about a small world of of interacting with other people uh so i was the first person in my family to graduate from college and when i graduated i moved home to find a job. I I'm really going to date myself now, but this was long before the internet was available to help people find employment. Fortunately, I was able to find that first job in the corporate headquarters of Wendy's International, the hamburger chain. Unfortunately, I ended up living with my parents for the next 3 and 1/2 years as I helped my mother care for my father and my grandmother who were both dying of different forms of cancer. Uh you've already talked about my professional career so I won't go into that. Uh and I guess just finally my wife and I have been married for almost 30 years now. We have one child, a daughter who is in the military here in the United States. Oh my god, that is that is great. I mean, you'd be really proud of her definitely. And um all as you mentioned, you know, uh to play against Michael Jordan, that's definitely an honor, but you are not like I'm sure when the audience get to know a little more about you, they realize that how much more you've gone through and how you have you know shaped your entire life but when you mentioned michael jordan when you were playing against him what were these few things that you observed about him or some things that you picked up you know while you were present with him 
Yeah, so for me, I, I was a senior in college. I was in my last year in college. He was a freshman, so he was in his first year, and he really wasn't the Michael Jordan that we all know, you know, the, that and have seen him do on the basketball court. He was just trying to, you know, get his feet wet and figure out what was going on and things like that. There was actually another player on the team by the name of James Worthy who actually played professional basketball and is in the National Basketball Hall of Fame, who was really their big star. It wasn't until later in the season that Michael Jordan really kind of found his rhythm and uh, his team won here in the United States the National Collegiate Athletic Association National Championship. So they were the best team in college basketball. And I'm really going to date myself again back in 1982. So this was a long time ago, but it was something, I mean, he was incredibly competitive. That's one thing I picked up on it. You know, he didn't like to lose. He always wanted to be the one who won and beat you. And, you know, it was just a great back and forth with an incredibly great team and ultimately an incredibly great player. Definitely. And I mean, uh, you, you've also mentioned, and I've also mentioned this before, that you have been on the, you've been a SWAT a hostage negotiator, right? So what were the few things? Because at that point of time, you really need to be very calm. You need to understand the other person's mindset. There are a lot of lives at stake. So what were the few things that you understood about human mindset that really played out in understanding relationships later on, probably helped you as a parent or, you know, for any relationships in your life? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think as what, you know, I was a hostage negotiator on a police department here in the United States. And when you're a policeman, about 99% of what you do is face to face with another individual, whether, you know, you stop in their car to give them a ticket because they were speeding or you're answering a radio run to go to their house for a fight or something like that. So you're interacting with people face to face. And so you can see how people are reacting. You know, if people are balling up their fists, maybe they want to fight you. If people are kind of, you know, looking around, maybe they're trying to figure out a way to run and get away from you and things like that. And you can see those things. You can see those visual clues and you can you can react to that. You could sit them down. You can handcuff them. You can put them in the back of your car, whatever is appropriate for the situation. But as negotiators, we were not with the person that we were negotiating with. Sometimes we were blocks away talking on a phone. Sometimes we were between a locked door or something like that. So we had to figure things out based on what people were saying, what they weren't saying, and how they were saying it. And just like any relationship that you have, whether it's you know boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, parent, child, boss, subordinate, whatever it is, what you're trying to develop is trust. And you're trying to get this person who you don't know and who doesn't know you to trust you. And there were many times when, you know, we would be over here talking with the person about, you know, a particular subject and the real problem was over here, but they didn't trust us enough initially to talk about what the real problem was. So that was a big thing as well. What we did was we parroted back what people would say. So we would let them talk. And then we would pick out the most important part of what they said to us. And then we would just parrot it back to them, say it back to them. And we would attach an emotion to it. And this is where it got really complicated 
So if you're yelling and screaming and ranting and raving, and I parrot that back to you and say, gee, you seem a little upset, I've totally missed what was going on. I mean, they're furious. You need to, you need to get down sort of in the mud with them and say, gee, you're really upset with your husband, with your mother, with whoever ended, you know, who got you into this situation. So that was one thing. And then the other thing is we would ask how and what questions. And by asking how and what questions, it allowed us to engage the person in helping us to get them out safely. And they didn't even realize that. So if I said something to you like, well, Miriam, uh, how do you think we're going to resolve this? Or how did this happen? Now I'm engaging you to help me solve the problem. So we, we did a lot of how and what questions. We tried to stay away from why questions. Well, why did you do that, Mary? Because why questions sound accusatory. They, they sound like, you know, I'm the parent, you're the child, and, I, and I'm upset with you because of something like that. So, so those are just a few of the things that we learn as negotiators. And, and certainly those things have helped me as a parent you know, in, in my relationship with my wife, even the other day when I was in treatment, I had a nurse who asked me a what question. And I just started to laugh because it just hit me like, are you trying to help? You know, are you trying to engage me to help you solve the problem here? You know, it was just it just took me back to being a negotiator. And she wasn't doing that. But for me, it was just something that was funny. That is definitely there. And I mean, what you just mentioned, you know, the how and why, uh, that is really important. Because as you mentioned, even when it comes to any sort of relationships, friendships, okay, considering the generation I come from, okay, it's a lot about people do not trust people easily nowadays. And on top of that, there's also this major uh, gap that has been created when it comes to communicating, because we don't meet people that much, you know, face to face. It's mainly through social media, you are perceiving this person as a person who they're portraying themselves to be you look at their social media and you're like okay this person seems to be a person who's very flamboyant or maybe somebody who's really happy and when you're conversing with them it's all about you know matching their energy or trying to be somebody who would be acceptable to them you know and when you mention this about you know asking how to go forward with a particular situation okay it really strikes as something which is very important in today's relationships to me because whenever people fight nowadays, it's about conserving their own energy and putting the blame on somebody else. That, you know, you put me in this position. You did not do this for me or you were not present at this point of time. But people don't really realize that by just asking that, how do we go forward from this, okay? Or how do we look at this entire situation? How is it us against the problem and not just you against, you know, him or, her, you know, you against her, whatever it is, is so important. And I mean, you did it on a larger scale of things, but definitely these tips could be applied to your everyday relationships, you know, your career relationships, probably your personal relationships or just your relationship with yourself too. Instead of being, you know, harsh on yourself and just being like, why am I being this way, okay? You could probably ask yourself, I'm going through this, but how do I move forward from here? How can I help myself from here? So yes, that really does help understanding that. Uh, you do- uh, can, I, can I follow up on that real quick? Definitely, Just, definitely. So you, you, you made some good points there. And, and I think you're absolutely right that most people don't take personal responsibility for their own success and happiness. They, they want to blame somebody else. And I've seen it 
certainly here in the United States, quite a bit where people start down the road toward a goal and then they butt up against an impediment. Something gets in their way and, and they, they quit. They give up. They can't find a way around it. But they don't just do that. They, now they've got to blame somebody. You know, they don't take responsibility for it. I've got to blame my parents or my station in life or my boss. So you're absolutely right on that. And the other thing about negotiating is what I, one of the things I learned is the importance of listening. And I know people are like, well, of course, listening is important. But what we do today is we listen to respond as opposed to listening to understand. So it's what, hurry up, Mary, and say what you're going to say because I want to get my two cents in. That's listening to respond as opposed to you say something. I may agree with you. I may not agree with you. But it goes back to, okay, Marion, help me understand where you're coming from. You know, again, somehow we've gotten to a point in society where if we don't agree, if we don't see eye to eye, then somehow you're a bad person. And I don't know when that happened. I don't know when it became that, you know, just because we don't agree with each other, it makes you a bad individual and somebody I can't. I, there are plenty of people that I don't agree with on a lot of levels, but they're still my friends. They're still people that I care about. And somehow we need to come past that. We need to get past the fact that, you know, we're, we're accusing people of being bad people because they don't agree with us. And part of that is listening to understand. Help me understand where you're coming from. And that way, maybe I can have a better perspective of where you are in your life and why you feel the way you do, as opposed to just dismissing you because you don't agree with me. That's totally true. I mean, when you were speaking, I remember this little analogy that I used to follow even when I was a teenager. And the analogy went something like this, that your opinions and your thoughts both are like balloons. So if I'm like, Terry, I have this balloon, okay, it's my opinion. I hand it over to you and I don't burst your opinion. I don't tell you to forcefully take my opinion and hold on to that and then expect you to fly above because your opinion was probably your favorite balloon, okay? I just hand over my balloon to you and I let you fly with two other balloons. That is your own balloon and my balloon. So you elevate people with your opinions and thoughts. But as you said, people try to shove it down. You know, people try to take people's opinions and crush it down and be like, no, you have to go and you have to think exactly the way I am thinking. But it's actually that their opinions, your opinions together helps them form something bigger and elevates people. So yes, definitely. That is something that is that people do need to realize. And I mean, when you're speaking about this, you did mention about your nurse and your treatment, okay? And I know that you're struggling with cancer and it's been a long battle for you. And uh, when you were going through that, a lot of people, you know, feel a lot of negative emotions. It's a time when it's tough for your family, your friends, even for yourself. What kept you going through it? What were the things that were going on in your mind that kept you going through this path? I think a lot of things. The, the, I think the first thing that really got me through it is what I call my three F's, and, and those stand for faith, family, and friends. And, you know, I've, I've always had a very strong faith in God, and, and I, I don't try to put that on anybody else. I mean, if they don't, that's fine, but it works for me. And, you know, going back to what we were talking about, about people not taking responsibility for their own success and happiness, when I got cancer, people were like, well, who do you blame? Like, what, what do you mean? Who do I blame? Well, you, you must blame somebody because you got cancer. I, I don't blame anybody. And then when people find out I have a faith life, they're like, well, you, you must blame God. 
I'm like, no, I don't think God got up on a Tuesday morning, checked his to-do list and said, Terry Tucker, cancer today. I don't believe that at all. But what he has done, I believe, for me, is given me the, he, given me the strength to get through these 10 plus years and have, having body parts amputated and, and things like that. So, you know, faith has always been incredibly important to me. My family also has gotten to the point, you know, cancer tends to isolate us from our friends and then from our family. And as you mentioned, even from ourselves in a lot of ways. And so, you know, when, when I had my leg amputated back in 2020, I, my doctor wanted to put me on chemotherapy. And I looked at him and I'm like, is it going to save my life? And he said, probably not, but it might buy you some more time. And I thought, well, if the outcome is going to be the same, do I really want to go through all that ugliness and misery? I said, but I'll, I'll go home and I'll talk to my family. So I, I and, and this this really happened, but it's kind of a funny story. And and so I go home and I start to tell my wife and daughter about what's going on. My, my daughter's immediately, I, we need a family meeting. I'm like, family meeting? There's three of us. It's not like we got a board here or something like that that we need, you know, to have a discussion with. So we end up sitting around the kitchen table and individually talking about how we feel about me having chemotherapy. And when we're done with that, my daughter's like, all right, let's take a vote. How many people want dad to have chemotherapy? And my wife and daughter raised their hand. I'm like, wait a minute. Am I getting outvoted for something that I don't want to do? But I remembered when I was back in the police academy learning to be a police officer, our defensive tactics instructor used to have us bring a photograph of the people we love the most to class. And as we were learning to defend ourselves, we were to look at that photograph because he reasoned you will fight harder for the people you love than you will fight for yourself. So I ended up taking chemotherapy, not because I wanted to, but because I loved my family more than I loved myself. So that's faith, family. And then the last group is friends. And I think it's, you really find out who your friends are when you're faced with a chronic or a terminal illness. You find out who the people are gonna be there for you. And, and, and I have some friends who are like, Terry, I can't deal with this. I can't deal with you having cancer. I can't deal with the fact that you may be dying. And, and, and I just need to distance myself from that. And that's fine. I understand people handle things in a different way. But when, like I said, when you, when you have something adverse, when something is affecting you negatively in your life, you really find out who's going to be there for you. That's them. And I mean, uh, you mentioned in the end, you know, that there were people who probably weren't strong enough, okay, to see you go through that time. Um, a lot of people, you know, not in a bigger picture like cancer, okay, but sometimes people cannot handle certain things in people's lives, okay, and they want to distance themselves away. And uh, how do you, um, how would you, you know, what would you tell to somebody, okay, who has lost somebody really close to them because of this, like somebody has moved away because they cannot handle whatever issues are going on, okay? Many people take it too personally and they think that there's something completely wrong with me and that's why people don't want to be around me, okay? And they go down into this cycle of depression. What would you suggest to people like that? Yeah, I, I can't do anything about the fact that I have cancer. I can't do anything about the fact that I'm in a wheelchair, I have one leg. I, I mean, that's, that's who I am. And if I can accept that, if I can deal with that, 
I don't understand why other people can't. I, I, I do realize that some people have had experiences with cancer and with loved ones, and it was just too difficult for them. But I'm not asking you to do anything for me. I'm just asking you to be there for me. I'm asking you to, you know, if I am in the hospital to maybe take out the garbage and things like that. And, you know, and, and again, I, I've done this, so I'm not exactly proud of it. But, you know, I can't think of how many times I've said it or other people have said it to me where it's like, hey, if you need anything, just let me know. And it's like, well, wait a minute. I, I, you know, the same things that you need to do at your house, the, the garbage needs to go out, the kids need to get picked up from school, uh, you know, the grocery shopping needs to be done, done, the grass needs to be cut, are the same things that I need to have done at my house. But I'm going to go have surgery or I'm going to go have treatment. So I don't have time to figure out how you're going to help me. I'll never forget after I had my first surgery, I did not have to stay in the hospital. When I woke up, I was able to go home. And I went home and I'd been home about 10 minutes and my phone rang. And it was my 95-year-old friend. And he's like, Terry, I know you just got out of the hospital. Can I come over for just 10 minutes and give you something? His name was Bud. And I said, sure, Bud, come on over. And within about 15 minutes, Bud was standing in our living room with a fully cooked chicken and a pan of cream cheese Danish that he had bought at the store. And he was like, here, you've got dinner for tonight and you've got breakfast for tomorrow. He didn't ask me what I needed. He didn't ask me how he could help. He just got involved. So I would suggest to people that if you really want to help me, if you don't want to take yourself off the hook by saying, hey, if you need anything, let me know. That's kind of like, you know, pretending you're playing in the game while you're sitting on the sidelines. If you really want to help somebody, just do it. Because like I said, the things that you have to do at your house are the same things I have to do at my house. So just say, hey, Terry, I'm going to take the dog for a walk. Or I'm going to take your garbage cans out or whatever that ends up being and just help people the best you can. That's that's really amazing. I mean, what Bud did, that is something that is. is so sweet. I I wish I had a friend like that who would just, you know, drop by during a tough time with, you know, you chocolate cake and be like, it's okay, we're just going to watch some, you know, good movies and we're just going to eat this. I know it's something which would be very trivial to what you've gone through, but I can understand the feeling, you know, the feeling of just having somebody come to you and just be there for you without expecting anything in return and just taking care. It's like people expect this. Another thing that I've realized very recently that people expect you to show love in their love language and they don't really realize that everybody has different love language. Some people are more vocal. Some people are more action-based. Some people would be, you know, probably materialistic. They would like to shower you with a lot of gifts. Some people would be like, but they'd get you, your, you know, a nice home-cooked meal along with the Danish. Make sure that your dinner and your breakfast is, you know, sorted. And some people would just verbally be there for you. And sometimes uh, there is a lot of problems that happen, you know, because people expect probably verbal, uh, you know, love languages and somebody is showing it through materialistic ways, okay, and they just don't connect and people don't realize that so everybody is trying to be there for you in their own way and you just got to accept it. They've got to accept them in their capacity and their way of showing their love. You're right. And, and, and as I said earlier, you know, cancer or an illness or, or a disease tends to isolate you. So, you know, from my perspective, any way you want to show that love language, any way you want to do that is fine with me because 
I feel isolated in a, in, a, in a great many times. And just having someone there, just talking or making a joke or watching television or, or, or a movie or whatever it is, that's connecting with people. And, and I don't I don't do that enough. I love people. I love being around them and that. But because of my illness and things like that, I can't in, in, in many cases. So, yeah, however you do it, do you and do you the way you do you. I don't want you to change for me. Just be you and we'll figure out how we're going to make this work. That's definitely that. That's really sweet. And uh, you know, Terry, you've mentioned that there are four truths that you follow. And could you expand a little bit on those truths? Sure. So uh, that's another thing in addition to the three Fs that uh, I think have gotten me through to this point in time. And I call them my four truths. They're not mine. I don't own them. I don't think you can own a truth. But they're what I like to refer to as the bedrock of my soul. They're just a good place to, to start to build a quality life off of. And I'll give them to you. I, I have them right here in a post-it note that I have on my desk. And so I see them multiple times during the day, and they constantly get reinforced in my brain. So the first one is this. Control your mind or your mind is going to control you. The second one is embrace the pain and the difficulty that we all experience in life and use that pain and difficulty to make you a stronger and more resilient individual. The third one I look at more as a legacy truth, and it's this. What you leave behind is what you weave in the hearts of other people. And then the fourth one I think is fairly self-explanatory. It's as long as you don't quit, you can never be defeated. So I use those truths in my life. And I, I, I don't want to sit here and say that, you know, if you use all four of these, you're going to have a great life and everything's going to work out. I don't know if that's the case. I don't want to sit here and make people think that I have all the answers. I, I don't. I mean, I, I have bad days. There are days when I'm in treatment where, where I cry, where I get down, where I feel sorry for myself. So, you know, there's no S on my chest. I don't wear a cape and fly around with magical powers. You know, I have bad days, but I use those four truths to kind of guide me and to keep me moving forward because the way I look at it, as long as I'm moving forward, I'm moving in the direction that I need to go. That's that's true. I want to expand on what you said. You know, there's a huge misconception about this thing that people, you know, when they see people who are mentally strong, okay, they think that um, you never cry. You, they think that you never have bad moments or you're never low. But what they don't realize is that there will be bad moments, okay? But you make sure that the bad moments don't narrate your entire life story ahead. They don't become, uh, thing, you know, factors, as you said, that they don't become points that will put you down onto your feet and keep you right there. So you do uh, accept it. You do go through those feelings, okay? But as you said, you know how to control it too. You know, you are more aware about it. You know that I'm going to feel this way. I'm probably going to give myself two days to, you know, sob over this. And the third day, I'm going to be back and I will take action. And it all comes back to what you said before, you know. It's not about a why. Why is this happening to me or whatever? It's about how do I move forward now from this, okay? Yes, this happened, okay? I've gone through the why. I've gone through feeling pity for myself, which is good. I mean, if you need to feel, you need to express your emotions, you can't keep it in you. Go through that and then get up the next morning, okay, and be like, okay, how do I move forward? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and when I found out I had cancer, 
you know, I had no idea. It wasn't like, oh, I was really sick or anything like that. I, I had a callus break open on the bottom of my foot. And I, I was a basketball coach, a girls' high school basketball coach at the time. And so I didn't think much of it because as a coach, you're on your feet a lot. But after a few weeks of it not healing, I went to see a podiatrist, a foot doctor, a friend of mine. And he took an x-ray and he said, Terry, I think you have a little cyst in there and I can cut it out. And he did. And he showed it to me. It was just a little gelatin sack with some white fat in it, no dark spots, no blood, nothing that gave either one of us concern. But fortunately or unfortunately, he sent it off to pathology to have it looked at. And then two weeks later, I received a call from him. And as I mentioned, he was a friend of mine. And the more difficulty he was having explaining to me what was going on, the more frightened I was becoming. Until finally, he just laid it out for me. He said, Terry, I've been a doctor for 25 years. I have never seen the form of cancer that you have. You have this rare form of melanoma that appears on the bottom of the feet or the palms of the hands. And when he told me that, I think I went through all the stages that we would associate with grief. You know, first it was denial. You know, I can't possibly have this. I've done everything right in my life. And then you get angry and it's like, you know, absolutely not. There's no way. And, and you sort of, you know, fight with yourself. And then I, you know, started to bargain with God. Our daughter was in high school when I got cancer. I'm like, look, just let me live long enough to see her graduate from high school. And then you kind of get down. You feel a little sorry for yourself. And then at least I did. I got to a point where it was like, I don't like this. This this sucks, to be honest with you. But I have to embrace that suck. You know, these are the cards that I've been dealt. I don't like the hand that I've got, but I've got to play this hand to the best of my ability. And so I did that. But and I know a lot of people, they kind of give up. They they just they turn their life over to a doctor or a therapist or something like that. I just always have been the person that I want my life to be shaped by the decisions that I made, not by the decisions that somebody else made or that I didn't make. So I ask my doctor a lot of questions. I'm very much involved in my healthcare. Why are we doing this? Why aren't we doing that? And things like that. But I know a lot of people just turn their life over to a doctor. It's like you went to medical school. You have all the initials after your name, you know, on your coat and all that stuff. So I'm just going to let you run my life. And and that's fine if people want to do that. But I've just never been that kind of a person. I want to be involved. I want to make the decisions, even if they're going to be tough decisions, even if they're going to be decisions that, like I said, I don't want to take chemotherapy if I'm going to die anyway. Do I want to die, you know, suffering or do I want to spend that time with my family and things like that? Those are hard decisions when you have to make them. And, you know, we're all going to have to make those decisions for ourselves more than likely at some point in time in our lives. And I'm not telling you you need to think about it now, but at some point in time, you're definitely going to need to think about the end of your life. That's totally true. That's definitely true. And when you mentioned about, you know, the four stages of grief, okay, uh, when I was younger, that reminds me, uh, when I was younger, my father showed me this one video, I believe you must have watched it too. It was from the movie Rocky, where Sylvester Stallone speaking to his son, and he tells him that life is always going to get you down on your knees, and you cannot let it keep you out there. And I, can't, I don't remember the exact wordings, okay. But every time I know that I'm on my knees and I'm at the bargaining stage, okay, I always go back and I watch that. And your fourth 
episodes remind me exactly of that because in that it's the same thing that you cannot let you know your situation or your whatever you're going through can narrate everything it's all in your hands whatever cards have been dealt to you okay it's how you make your car you know castle out of it it's on you whatever your uh, what's going on in your mind okay is probably going to be the wind that brings down that castle okay but if you are steady what is going on in your mind is steady okay definitely there will be days that will be tough okay and your castle is going to shake a little bit probably a couple of you know cards are going to fall down but it's not that you will not be able to build it again and you're not going to be stable enough at a time yeah you you have to understand that you know the road to success is paved with failure, is paved with mistakes. And I think a lot of, especially young people, you know, they want to be successful and they think that, you know, they're just going to snap their fingers. And it's like, no, you're going to fail and you're going to fail a lot in life. And, and I always tell when I speak to young people, especially, I always tell them that if there's something in your heart, if there's something in your soul that you believe you're supposed to do, but it scares you, go ahead and do it. Because at the end of your life, the things that you're going to regret are not going to be the things you did. They're going to be the things you didn't do. And by then it's going to be too late to go back and do them. So those things that are scary and and, and everything is scary when you don't know what you're doing and you're, you're trying to figure it out. That's okay. Take that fear and, and live that fear. Use that fear. It kind of like goes back to the second truth of embracing the pain and the difficulty. Instead of running from it, instead of trying to get away from it, use it, embrace it, turn it inside, burn it as fuel, use it as energy to make you a stronger and more resilient individual. You know, and people, like I said, they look at me and think, oh, you know, I could never do that. Well, trust me, I am the biggest wimp in the world. If I can do it, anybody who's listening to us can do it. Definitely, that is there. And what you mentioned about fear, okay? I, out of personal experience, I feel like many times, okay, it's all in your head. You perceive it to be uh, like something that is going to be really scary and something that's going to be very difficult, maybe because you've not experienced it before. And you're probably pulling from everybody's experiences, what they've told you, what you've heard, what you've seen, okay? But actually, when you get down to doing it, and if you do it every single day, 1% at a time, okay? It's not that tough. They, after all, in the end, when you join the do dots, you're going to look back and you're going to be like, okay, it, the journey wasn't really that tough. It was just the first step. Taking that first step is all it takes. That first step is what is going to probably break all the fear and all everything that is going to be there. And as you said, yes, definitely. I come from the generation where everything and I'm, I, 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 like, I even confess that I've even been at that place when I wanted success to be, be there at my doorstep, you know, I'm going to start doing something and it's going to turn out and it's going to be a bed of roses, okay, but it doesn't work out that way. It is multiple failures that are going to come there, there are going to be multiple rejections, but each failure, each rejection teaches you a little thing, okay, and you're going to keep on taking all your learnings ahead and then become successful with it. That's only if you're, you don't right. stop. Yeah. Only, yeah, that's the only way you grow. You, you don't grow in your comfort zones. If things are comfortable and you're having a good day, you're not growing. You need to do things that make you uncomfortable. And, and I try to do this every day. So I'll recommend this to, to your audience is do one thing every day that makes you nervous, that scares you, that makes you uncomfortable, that's potentially embarrassing. It doesn't have to be a big thing, but if you do those small things every day, when the big disasters in life hit us, and they hit all of us, we 
lose somebody who's close to us or we get fired from our job or we find out we have cancer or some kind of another illness, you'll be so much more resilient to handle those things than the people who never get outside their comfort zones and all of a sudden they're faced with this huge dilemma and they don't know how to handle it. That's really true. That is definitely true. And um, Terry, as you mentioned, you know, um, what do you think is the biggest obstacle today that people are going through when they come to achieve the, achieving their dreams or their goals? What is the biggest obstacle today? That's such an easy question. It's, it's themselves. It's us. It's your mind. I, I, I always tell people, be very, very careful how you talk to yourself. You know, if you say to yourself, you know, I'll just give you an example. You know, I'm really bad at math. I'm terrible at math. I'm not any good at math. I can't do math problems. Eventually, you're going to hardwire your brain where you aren't any good at math. So if you keep telling yourself that, the same part of your brain, and, and I, I play basketball, so I'm going to use this analogy. So when you practice shooting a basketball, you hardwire a part of your brain when you do that. The same part of your brain gets hardwired when you think about shooting a basketball. So whether you're physically doing it or whether you're thinking about it, that exact same spot in your brain is getting hardwired. So if you sit there and, and, you, and you shoot, but then you tell yourself, man, I'm not good at shooting. I'm bad at this. I'm terrible at this you're eventually going to get to the point where you're not going to be a good shooter. So I always tell people to be incredibly careful with the, the self-talk that we, we put into our brain. Make that positive. Get up every morning and tell yourself, today's going to be a great day. I'm going to be successful. When bad things happen to you, it's like, hey, what can I learn from this? How can I make something positive out of this? I'm not telling you it's easy because it's not. But your mind or your mindset is dictates your entire life. We become what we think. Think about that for a minute. We become what we think. If you can see what you want in your mind's eye, then it can happen. If you can't see it, it will never happen for you. So figure out what you want, put that mental image into your mind, into your brain, and constantly replay that. But make sure it's positive. Make sure it's something that you want because eventually you'll get there. May not be today, may not be next week, may not even be next year. But if you consistently have good habits and are motivated and have the discipline, you can accomplish anything you want in life. That's really true. I, in fact, actually read a study about this very recently. And um, I came up with the term at that point of time for it. It's kind of like incremental wiring. So you're slowly, slowly, you know, just winding your, your the coil that is there, okay? And one day, you're, it's just going to spark and your subconscious and your conscious is just going to attach. And at that point of time, whatever your subconscious mind was working on, you know, your conscious mind is going to start doing it and that's how you're going to start achieving it. So I believe like everything you were saying, is, it comes down to that, that you have to keep feeding all these positive thoughts to your subconscious mind so that your conscious mind can actually start doing it. And what you mentioned, it's very true because when I was in high school, I remember uh, my mother, she, you know, she, I wanted a pet kitten, okay? And she mentioned that if I do get somewhere above 95%, okay, I would be able to get it. 
and uh, for me honestly it was really impossible because i was not focusing on my studies at that point of time i was just more interested in you know leaving a legacy in school so i wanted to do something for the school and stuff and uh, i had a little sticky note that was there uh, you know ahead of my desk and it just had 98% not 95 okay i had just written a number which in my mind i kind of thought that it is not even possible but i just put it and i put it on the desk that i had in school and along with the desk that i had at home and you won't believe when my marks did come out i did get a 95% and that's when i realized the power of because every day when i used to be studying i used to look at it and it used to just keep on playing in my mind that yeah okay that number has to come that number has to come and i started following that for every single thing whatever my goals whatever my ambitions are okay i put them on little sticky notes and i stick it around in places that i know i'm spending a lot of time probably a book that i'm reading i'll put it onto the cover so every time i go to open the book it's there my phone screen would have that as you know the screen saver and everything and it really keeps on you know like every single time you're doing something probably even if you go to you know when i'm picking up my phone and i know i want to watch netflix that's the first thing i see and i'm like do i really want to watch netflix when i'm watching like a show or do i want to watch something that's going to be productive and is really going to get me closer to that so it starts you know as i mentioned you know it's incremental wiring every step you take after that okay your subconscious and your conscious starts matching together you're right you're you're absolutely right and and i always tell people if there's something you want write it down and and i don't mean you know on your phone i mean actually take a pen or a pencil and put it on a piece of paper and physically write it and then as you said put it somewhere where you can see it where it's going to be you know hey i'm going to see this it's on my bathroom mirror and i'm going to see it every morning and every night or on my books or or wherever on your desk wherever you're going to be like i said i have my four truths that i have written out hand written out on a post it note and so i see them and they constantly get reinforced and you know i always tell people people are always you know how do i get better at X, fill, fill in the blank, whatever, you know, whatever. You, I want to be a better salesperson. I want to be a better mother. I want to be, and, and it, you know, it's kind of the old saying of how do you eat the elephant? One bite at a time. If you look at, you know, I want to be a better salesperson. Well, that's a huge goal to reach. But what if you said today, I'm going to get 1% better at being a salesperson. And then tomorrow I'm going to get 1% better. And the next day, 1% better. At the end of a month, you're 30% better at sales than you were when you started. At the end of a quarter, you're almost 100% better. You're 90% better than when you started. So if you, if you can break the big, the big picture down, as you said, into small incremental bites that you can concentrate on today, am I better today than I was yesterday? If the answer is yes, then you're moving in the right direction. And don't get all caught up. Because, and that's the problem with most people. I want it and I want it now. It's got to be immediate gratification. I got to be a great salesman tomorrow. Well, guess what? That's, that's not realistic. You can be good at it, but if you get 1% better every day, eventually you'll get there. But so many people give up. They quit on their dreams because they look at it and say, oh, it's so overwhelming. I can't possibly do that. Break it down into something that you can do. And eventually you'll succeed. That's definitely true. Terry, this has been so insightful and everything that you've discussed, everything that you have mentioned, your story and every little um, sto- every little moment that you have shared out here, okay, is going to be definitely really inspiring to all, my audience. And to end the show now, I would just want to ask you, what is that one piece of advice that you've either read or you've heard from somebody that you will never forget and you would like to pass on? 
I'll give you my the definition of success that I heard years ago when I was in high school. I was a big uh, fan of a basketball coach here in the United States by the name of John Wooden, who coached at the University of California at Los Angeles, UCLA. And Coach Wooden had a saying, had a definition of success, and I've never heard a better one in my entire life. And this is the way, this is how it goes. Success is peace of mind which is a direct result of self-satisfaction in knowing that you did the best to become the best that you're capable of becoming. So it doesn't say anything about winning. It doesn't say anything about money or power or prestige. All it says is it's peace of mind in knowing that you did your very best to become the best that you're capable of becoming. I mean, Miriam, you have... You have certain unique gifts and talents that I don't have. I have unique gifts and talents that you don't have. And I've seen so many people that compare themselves to others. You know, why don't I have the, the job they have? Why don't I live in the nice house that they live in? Why don't I have the nice car that they have? Why don't I make the kind of money that they make? Or that, that You know, we compare ourselves to other people. And I don't understand why, because... Your journey and my journey are entirely different. And why would I compare myself to you? Because my journey is not your journey. Your journey is your journey. And if you make a lot of money and if you're real successful, then why can't I just be happy for you and say, okay, that's great for Miriam. Now I've got to be, I've got to do my thing. This is my journey with my unique gifts and talents. So I would just kind of have people focus on that. Don't concentrate on what you're going to get. Concentrate more on what you can give. We spend so much of our lives looking at, you know, I've got to consume. I've got to, it's like we're an empty cup and we've got to fill ourselves up with money and power and prestige and all this kind of stuff. What I would like to suggest is maybe we do the opposite. Maybe instead of thinking we're born empty and we need to fill ourselves up, maybe we look at it as I'm born full and I need to empty myself out. I need to give of myself to other people. It's just a different way of looking at it. And I don't think society today, today it's all about what can I get as opposed to what can I give? That's beautiful. That's a very different perspective. And that's so true. People really need to start looking at it as what they can give back to the society. What is it that they could, you know, add as such, you know, in terms of values or even in terms of, you know, being of help to somebody else and just looking at what you're going to get. Because, um, I, I mean, there was this uh, thing that I'd even come across, okay, where there was a seminar and somebody mentioned that everybody was given a balloon in the room, okay? And they're like, the last one standing, okay, would be the one who would be the winner, okay? And that was it. And then everybody ran around, okay, trying to burst everybody's balloons, okay? And in the end, nobody had a balloon in their hand. And the guy just mentioned again, it was just about the person, the last one standing with the balloon. So it could be everyone, each one of y'all, it had to be just the person standing with the balloon. None of y'all had to go and sabotage anybody else. It just had to be that y'all stand in your own space, be yourselves, and y'all just go. Y'all are going to progress any which way. So right. yeah, that's all I wanted to share. <laughs> Well, thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed recording this. If you like a particular line of the episode, do share it on your story and tag me at tmm.pod. You can follow me on tmmpod 
and feel free to reach out and give me your feedback or topics you would want me to speak about. Have a great day. Bye.